Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Good morning. Welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world, with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Symmetra, LPGA, and Legends Tour, and so many others, helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right, good morning, everybody, and once again, welcome to the Women of Golf. I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside, of course, is my good friend and buddy uh, and co-host, LPGA professional, Cindy Miller. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. What are you doing? Um, I'm enjoying a beautiful sunny day and I'm excited and I got to ask you, I didn't realize, or were you kidding? Um, you were just mentioning with our guest off air that Buffalo is the snow capital of the world. Is that true? <laughs> I have or no idea. Feel that I way? That up. I've told people it's the golf oh. capital of the world, <laughs> but I think it's closer to being the snow capital of the world. Well, I, I th- you're right. I think Buffalo is in along that snow belt that runs up through Canada and down through uh, Erie, uh, Pennsylvania. So you might be right. It, it certainly gets a lot of it. I can I can attest to that as well. All right, we've got a great show. Uh, we're going to stop talking about snow. We're going to move on to golf. Uh, we've got two uh, very exciting guests this morning. Uh, first up is, is going to be uh, Megan McLaren. She is the winner of this past week's uh, Symmetra Tour event, the Prasco Charity uh, championship. We'll introduce her in just a second. And then a little bit later on, I'm really excited as well. We've got the founder and CEO of Lola Sports LLC, uh, Lisa O'Hurley. And if that last name rings a bell, it should. Her husband, John O'Hurley, was uh, on Seinfeld. He played Jay Peterman. It was his character and a host of other things that he's done as well. Uh, so she's going to be coming on and talking about an exciting new uh, golf women's apparel line that she launched uh, under Lola Sports um, during the pandemic, and she's really excited to talk about that, so we're going to join her. But let me introduce our first guest, Megan, and then we'll bring her on and, and uh, we'll talk about her win. Uh, she is a native of England and uh, competed as an amateur in the 2016 WPGA International Challenge and actually won as best amateur. Uh, she also claimed seven top tens in 2017 on the LET Access Series, including uh, her second win and a third-place finish. Uh, she became the Order of Merit winner, gaining her full card, full card excuse me, on the 2018 LET. Uh, in that 2018 season, which was her uh, start, uh, she actually won her first LET title in the Women's New South Wales Open, uh, which uh, was just in her fourth start of the season. She also won two medals in the European Team Championships at Glen Eagles, uh, silver in the Mixed Team uh, Championships, and bronze in the Women's Team uh, Competition alongside Michelle Thompson, and of course, as I mentioned, this past week, uh, she won her first Symmetra Tour event, the Prasco Charity Championship. So, Cindy, let's welcome our very special guest, Megan McLaren. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, we're, oh, yeah, we're happy to have you, and congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, it all um, it all sounds great when you when you run through the achievements like that. But there's a there's a lot of space in between <laughs> some of that stuff, so it feels really good to get get another victory. Well, we're happy for you, and uh, we know there's gonna you're gonna close that gap uh, very quickly. Cindy, do you want to start, or do you want me to? You go right ahead. All right. Um, so again, congratulations on your win. Uh, and again, this was your first uh, Symmetra Tour title, and this actually puts you in uh, the top 10 uh, race for the card, so I know you've got to be excited. I think you're at number six now, uh, so that boosted you up quite a few uh, spots from where you were, and uh, that's going to be pretty exciting. So let me ask you, um, going into this event, because I noticed something in some of the notes I was reading 
that you've had kind of a, a couple of tough few years. Uh, so your mindset maybe wasn't uh, as up as you would like to have been. Obviously, this is going to help change that. What were some of the struggles over the last few years that you've been going through? Obviously, you didn't have the win, but um, were there some other things that you were struggling with your game that was causing you to feel a little bit, as they say, down in the dumps? And how is this win going to help change that? Yeah, I um, I've struggled a little bit with my putting for the past couple of years. Um, I had a few, you know, more more mental struggles than anything else um, that have affected, I guess, my ability to to put rounds together and to put, put good tournaments together. I, you know, I've I've still played well for the majority of it the last couple of years, um, but just felt like I've I've been handcuffed a little bit by maybe by what's happening mentally. Um, so I've I've worked really hard on that over the past, especially over the past few months, I guess. Um, and yeah, so to have it, I think this was, I'd, I'd noticed signs of progress in kind of how I'd felt in, in tournaments and in particular rounds, but to have it come together for a, for a win was kind of the, the piece that I was missing. So it, it definitely gives me a ton of confidence now. Well, and, and let me just ask you, let me go back to this past season because, um, you know, you were essentially in the same boat, as they say, as everybody else. Obviously, because of the pandemic, there were a lot of concerns and the uh, schedule kind of got uh, basically cut in half. I think there were 10 events last year um, and there was a late start to boot. So it was very, very difficult to really uh, kind of get some momentum going. You guys had a great uh, 2019 season and then all of a sudden, you know, the the things sort of shifted because of the pandemic. Did you find it very hard last season when you, uh, you know, I don't know what events you played in, but when you were playing to really get some momentum going just because the season was kind of chaotic? Yeah, I'd say I've noticed it more this season, the difference in being able to get that momentum. Um, I think last year, obviously we had, I was playing over in Europe, so I started the year off and then had, I guess, three months off um whenever everything kind of shut down and I was I was back at home in England and you know we were all in the same boat over there like courses were closed and there wasn't much going on and to be honest we ended up playing more than I expected to you know there was a point in kind of April where we were all like you know we might not have we might not play any Mm. more events this year which was a pretty a pretty tough spot to be um you know, we we had our health, and I was I was around my family and stuff, which was great. Um, and I think a lot of us over in Europe were kind of just grateful when we did. And I guess golfers and and people all over the world, you know, were grateful when we did get to start playing and and kind of things got a little bit back to normal. Um, so it's definitely like a new appreciation in the second half of of 2020. Um, and then I feel like this year has kind of been a bit more back to like the competitive, you know, this is what I'm trying to do. These mm-hmm. are my goals. I want to get better every week. Um, so I think my, my perspective this, this season has kind of turned up a notch. Right. Yeah. It, it's always tough like that. And, you know, some people, um, you know, I know some of the, the uh, golfers were doing things at home, you know, they were chipping at a nets, they were doing whatever they could uh, you know, if they weren't able to get out to the golf course. So I know it was very, very difficult, especially when you're, you're, you're sort of hardwired to be a competitive golfer and then all of a sudden the rugs pull out from underneath you for a time or two. Uh, it's very difficult to say, okay, what do I do now? I can't even go to the course to practice in many cases uh, or there's heavy restrictions, so it's difficult to do that. Um, what did you do during that time? Were you able to get out and do anything at all to, you know, kind of keep your game in, in check or, or were you just sort of having to sit by the phone and wait for the call or the email or what have you to say, okay, now you can get out and start working on whatever it is you want to work on. How did you handle that? Yeah, there was definitely a lot of of refreshing emails waiting for some good news. Um, Yeah, it was tough in England because, like I said, golf courses were completely closed for for a good couple of months. So I I did struggle quite a bit at times to just the motivation. Um, I had I had a net set up in my back garden, so I did a little bit of of swing stuff and you know a little bit of putting inside. But there is only so much you can do, and I feel like as golfers, right. we always we're because we're on the go all the time. You do kind of 
you know, you find yourself having spells where you're like, oh, I wish I could just have a little bit of time at home just to reset and, you know, want to read some books, make myself better kind of mentally and all that stuff. And then when we actually had that, I mean, you could say it's an opportunity in that sense. It, you know, it wasn't what anybody thought it would be, I suppose. Um, And the thing (laughs) that I found hardest was just, I guess, like you always have tournaments to prove yourself and to maybe prove to yourself that you're moving in the right direction and the things that you're working on are paying off whether it's short-term or long-term. And I think without that mm-hmm. kind of proving ground, that's, that's what I struggled with personally, was like, you know, I can, do, I can do all these little bits and pieces here in the house and work on my fitness a little bit. But whenever you don't have those signs that you're getting better and you're improving, you know, competition is our drug at the end of the day. And, and without that, it was, it was quite tough at times. Well, and and I think what a lot of amateurs don't understand is, you know, as a professional, you know how to hit the golf ball, you know how to putt, you know how to do all these things very, very well. But when you're not actually able to put them in practice, uh, meaning out on the golf course and in competition, it's kind of all for naught. I mean, yeah, you can only hit so many straight balls and fades and and draws and so forth. And then you get kind of bored after a while. So unless you're out there you know, get, getting those sort of competitive juices going, it, it's very, very uh, difficult for, for somebody in your uh, your level of play. Um, Cindy, go ahead. So even though you you can't wait to take time off and then you get trapped like a rat with no cheese and you have to take time off, what, again, I I played myself for three years and of the best in the world, I was the worst. So you just have such doubt and, and you're wondering if you're doing the right thing. How important is it to have a team that believes in you around you? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely huge. Um, Cause I think even more so during, during the season um, to kind of have people to ground you, whether things are, you know, whether they're up or they're down, you know, just to kind of keep your feet in the same place and, and kind of remind you that it's all a process and, you know, winning once or missing five cuts in a row don't necessarily mean that you're doing something really good or really bad. You know, it's just the nature of golf. Um, So I think certainly during the season, that's, you know, one of the most important things for any professional golfer. I mean, you, you know, as well as I do that you can, you can get caught up in your own emotions far too easily far too quickly um so just having those people remind you that you know you're more than your results i suppose is the the most important thing to remember every single week yeah we have a saying in our house you're not what you shoot (laughs) yeah absolutely and i think as any any professional athlete that's you know it's the hardest thing to remember it's the most simple thing but it's the hardest thing because that's what you're judged on at the end of the day. But, you know, everything that you do is, is about changing those results. Um, but you have to, you also have to understand the nature of golf in that, you know, you don't, you don't always get in or get out what you put in, sorry, you know, and, and it's a very fickle sport. So it, you know, it changes from week to week. How, Important is it to, uh, what do I want to say, to continue to work and look in the mirror at what your weaknesses are? Because we teach an awful lot of kids, and we've got one of our students who's probably going to go to Q school at the end of the summer. And you can't really put a deadline, oh, I'm going to try it for a couple years, because it might take five or 10 years to get it. And how important is it to look at your stats? I asked them, you know, how many fairways did you hit? How many greens? When you missed the fairway, which way did it go? Is, is it really important to look in the mirror to see what you're really doing on the course when it counts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I think as certainly as an amateur golfer or as a young professional golfer, you have to be, and actually not just for those people, for any golfer at any level, the top of the game, or if you're 
you know, off playing off a 20 handicap and just trying to get better. Like the one thing you have to do to get better is be honest with yourself, whether that's what you're doing well or what you're not doing so well. Um, And that's where, you know, having people around you can be really helpful because you sometimes you're too close to things to kind of see them clearly. Um, And definitely keeping stats is, is a huge part of that. And that's something that I've done a lot of over the years. But you also have to be careful. You know, golf, golf is so complicated because, you know, doing, doing one thing doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best thing, if that makes sense. You know, you can analyze stats to death and then you get too caught up in them. Um, so the thing that I've kind of learned is that you have to take it piece by piece. So you can kind of look at your stats at the end of the year, make a plan, and then give yourself you know, give yourself a little bit of time for that to make a difference, to show itself. Because if you keep analyzing every single week, you know, you end up, that's the saying, paralysis, paralysis, I can't say it now. Um, now when you paralysis. paralysis. Yourself. Yeah, that's yeah. one. Um, you can get too left brain. You can get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But likewise, you have to be aware of, of what you're doing because you don't want to get, get caught in the same patterns if you are consistently missing fairways right whenever you're under pressure, you need to know that. Um, and you don't, you don't know that unless you reflect on what you're doing. Um, so reflection for me is, is a huge part of golf. Perfect. Ed? So Megan, let me ask you, uh, let's talk a little bit about the event itself. Um, you ultimately went on to, as I said, to win with a two-stroke two victory. Um, so you had some, some close, uh, competitors, uh, nipping at your heels. Tell us a little bit about the overall, how you feel you performed. Obviously, ultimately you're happy you won in that, but throughout the event, were there some high points, were there some low points? What part of your game do you think really came through for you, uh, uh you know, during this event? Um, yeah, to be honest, this one was, this one was a really satisfying win because it, it was like everything kind of clicked without everything being perfect, if that makes sense. You know, like I made, made a few mm-hmm. mistakes here and there, um, missed a few fairways, missed a few greens, missed a few putts, but on the whole, I felt like every part of my game was, you know, was, was pretty good. Um, and I think my, my kind of mental place was, that's what I was most proud of this week was that I I stayed pretty calm throughout and I think that enabled me to when I did make a mistake to kind of just let go of it and, and kind of put some good good holes together or to hold hold a clutch putt whenever it mattered. Um and I had you know, this I was in the leads in a tournament a few weeks ago, um and kind of just just got a little bit too tense and, and tried too hard I felt like. Whereas this week or this past week, there was quite a few of us all tied for the lead going into the last round. And I'm guessing the lead changed quite a few times throughout the final round. So I just really, really tried to to stay calm and to just stay in it the whole time. Because in a situation like that, you can't control if somebody goes out and shoots 64. You know, there was enough people up there right. that that could have happened. But the one thing you don't want to do is to give it away. So I think even whenever I dropped a couple of shots, I just, I just managed to stay in it, which is what I was most proud of, you know, cause that gave me the opportunity to, to capitalize on, on my chances towards the end when I had them. I gather then you're not a scoreboard watcher. Um, you might <laughs> take a peek once in a while to see where you stand, but you're not somebody that obsesses over, well, you know, I'm two back or I'm three back or I'm, at, I'm leading the tournament. Um, would that be a fair assessment? Um, that's probably too kind on me. Um, I, I've had a few <laughs> tournaments where I've, I have watched the scoreboard and funnily enough, because of the pandemic, um, a lot of tournaments have less mm. scoreboards, which means... They've introduced right. the rule that you're allowed to look at your phone purely to check the leaderboard. Um, so I've had a couple oh, of yeah, yeah. where, I've, yeah. So mm, it's quite yeah. a, it puts it completely in your hands. You know, do do you want to do it or not? And I think 
at the end of the day, it's like what you're comfortable with. Like, are you comfortable with seeing a leaderboard and seeing that you're two ahead? And are you comfortable looking at a leaderboard and seeing that there's six people above you? Um, and mm-hmm. I like to think I'm comfortable with that, but going into um, into this week or last week's final round, I kind of was aware that there were so many people around me that things were going to change quite quickly and, you know, hole to hole, things were going to change all the time. So I knew there wasn't any point getting caught up in what the scores were kind of after nine holes or after six holes or after 12 holes. Um, so I actually got quite a nice quite a nice little boost of adrenaline because I walked onto the 16th green it was and I'd had a couple of bogeys um, I'd like started my round well, had a couple of bogeys and kind of thought I'm probably a couple of shots behind at this point, but I still have a chance. So I walked onto the 16th green and there was a leaderboard and I was tied for the lead. So that gave me like a a really nice kind of adrenaline boost of like, okay, this is, you know, this is in my hands kind of thing. Um, So it doesn't always work out like that, but it it worked out quite well for me this, this event. I've got well, a I, question. From a, yeah, go ahead, Cindy. <clears throat> um, did it help? So I believe that we all learn from experience. And you said you were tied to the lead or near the lead a few weeks ago a couple times. Did you learn from that experience? And is that what fired you up? Tell us about when you saw that you were still tied to the lead, like, oh, you could have said, oh, my gosh, don't blow this, or I'm going to birdie two of the last three holes, which is what you did. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yeah, it's funny. Um, it still feels a little bit surreal, to be honest with you. Um, you know, sometimes you're in those moments and, you know, it, it doesn't go the way you want it to, which is what happened a few weeks ago. Um, but I think this time my whole kind of demeanor was, was much more calm than I had been a few weeks ago. And I definitely learned from the last time in that I think I wanted it too much. I put too much pressure on myself. Um, I felt like because I was leading, it would be a failure if I didn't win. And I got I got quite tight and anxious because of that. Um, and it's been, you know, it's not just a case of that happened that week and then I don't do anything between then and what happened this week, you know, there was still the whole process between then and now of of working on my mental place and um, and really trying to figure out how I perform at my best, which is to really just be as calm as possible um, because I think that that helps narrow my focus as well whenever I am leading. And that's what I felt like happened in this tournament was, you know, I walked onto the 16th green and, and saw that I was in the lead and... I had quite a long putt for birdie on that hole. And it just, it really, really narrowed my focus and my attention to detail. And rather than sort of swinging the way of, I hope I don't mess this up, it was, how do I hold this putt? You know, what do I need to do to hold this putt? And it worked for me in that moment. Um, so I hope, hopefully I can tap into that place more often. That's awesome. Ted? Let me just ask you, uh, I want to go back um, just to your play a little bit. Um, and this is something that maybe you can frame it in such a way that would, would help some of our listeners, because I guarantee many of them struggle with this. You, you mentioned sometimes, you know, and then this round is no different, or in this tournament was no different, that, you know, you had some bad moments, as a bad shot, perhaps maybe even a bad hole or two. When that happens, many amateurs get stuck in the moment. They can't get past it. As a professional, what have you learned? I mean, you, you're going to have bad shots and bad holes just like they do. Obviously, it may not be as bad, but uh, you're going to have your own uh, version of it. What do you do? Because you're in the middle of a tournament and you've got a chance to win now, and maybe you've just come off, as you said, two bogeys, uh, which I'm sure you weren't happy about. What do you do to prevent yourself from getting stuck in that moment and saying, gosh, I just had two bogeys and I'm going to mess up the next three holes or whatever? What do you do to move past that? How do you get out of that moment and, and keep focused on and moving forward? 
That's a good question. Um, I think some tournaments you just find it easier than others, and I wish I knew why that was. I think sometimes you're just you're just a bit clearer mentally, and that's where you know I've done a lot of work to try and be like that more often. Um, but sometimes you do get caught up in the moment, and you're like, oh no, you know, shouldn't have hit that shot, or I've I've messed up my chances now. Um, but I think it comes down to in your own ability um, you know I knew that I could make bogeys and still be good enough to make some birdies at some point in my round and you know people mm-hmm. draw their confidence in different ways some of mine has come from from understanding my game and from looking at stats and knowing like okay whenever I've had my best scores I'm capable of doing it in different ways you know I'm, I'm capable of, of holding putts I'm capable of hitting some really, really good iron shots. You know, it's, if you've got that level of trust in your game and what you do, I think it takes the pressure off a little bit because you're not trying to force it so much. Um, and there were moments in in the last round this week where, you know, I'd made a couple of bogeys and then I actually had two holes in a row where I missed the green with a wedge in my hands, which... You know, it could have completely derailed me because that's, you know, that's a pretty big mistake to do that. But I just, I was just able to let go of it and be like, okay, well, all I've got to do now is focus on the next shot. And that's such a big cliche in golf. But if you hold on to the frustration of what you've just done, you can't give the next shot your proper attention and focus. And, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's a series of golf shots, you know, they're the shot that mm-hmm. you just hit doesn't affect what your next shot is in terms of your execution, right. in terms of what you have to do. It's just a series of shots in front of you. Um, so I think the the more you can kind of accept that, the the more you can kind of have something good happen sooner than you realize. Yeah, very well said. You know, I think a lot of people don't understand – you know, they get caught in, in this sort of trap of uh, focusing on the past. Um, the shot that just happened is gone. It's over with. You can't change it. Um, and the shot about to happen is in the future. Um, so really all you have is now. And um, I think a lot of times people try to carry one in the other category and get very confused by that. They keep thinking about, you know, I was joking, Cindy would attest to this on the show. Um, it, I equate it to people at an airport dragging their, their baggage. Um, you know, you're dragging your baggage to your flight. Well, a lot of amateur golfers drag their baggage around the golf course, past bad rounds, past bad holes, whatever the case may be, and they don't know how to release it. And I think what you just said hopefully will, will help a few of our listeners out there. Um, Megan, we want to thank you for joining us this morning. We've got to unfortunately let you go, but uh, uh, enjoy your week off. And you're going to be, what's the next event coming up for you? Um, I go to French Lick in Indiana um, the week after this for the next event and then got a couple more in New York actually after that. So it's all go. I just might come and meet you in New York. uh, Yeah, that'd be awesome. I think we play in Rochester Rochester. and then Albany. Yeah. Perfect. Well, good luck, my dear. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, good luck at uh, at French. Yeah, French Lick. It's. Yeah, thank you. Congratulations again on your win. And uh, hopefully you'll come back and join us again when you win your next event. So uh, we appreciate it, Megan. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, guys. All right, that was Megan McLaren, winner of the Prasco Charity Championship. Um, What a very together young lady, don't you agree? I mean, I think she really has um, her mindset in the right area um, and focused on the right things. just uh, carries herself very, very well, and I think she's going to do well. And, and Cindy, you know, I mean, you've, you've mentioned this many times, you know, you're going to have ups and downs on tour. It's just the way it is. You're going to have moments where you're going to be excited and things are going your way, and you're going to have other moments where it's not, but it's how you handle those mentally that uh, carry you through uh, event to, through to uh, each event. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and speak with Lisa O'Hurley. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? 
Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right. Uh, we're very, very excited to have our, our next guest. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Lisa O'Hurley. She is the founder and CEO of Lola Sports, LLC. Uh, she's a former Golf Channel and Golf Athena uh, executive. Uh, she has a lifelong love for golf clothes and an impeccable sense of style. Uh, she starred for four years on the Baylor University golf team. Uh, she uh, boasts a four handicap uh, who plays out of the Sherwood Country Club in Thousand Oaks, California, and the Mayakama Golf Club in Sonoma, California. And she's married to actor John O'Hurley, who you may recall played Jay Peterman on Seinfeld. Uh, he's also the host of Family Feud and lead-in uh, for Chicago on Broadway. So, Cindy, let's welcome our very special guest, Lisa O'Hurley. Good morning. Hi, hi Cindy. Hi, Ted. What an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, thank you for, for joining us this morning. We appreciate you. Uh, uh, you're out in California, so you've gotten up a little extra early to, uh, to be on the Actually, show. So we thank you for that. Actually, oh. Ted, today I happen to be in Vermont. We have a summer home oh. up in a very small town in Vermont, which, by the way, they are all small towns in Vermont. Um, but we enjoy a month out of our summer up here. So we are uh, on a bit of a vacation. Very good. Well, we're glad you can join us. Um, Cindy, you go ahead, and I'll let you start first. So I have to ask, does your son play golf? Oh, Cindy, what a great question. <laughs> I think you and I need to spend about an hour talking about this. So I have a son who is 14. He just turned 14. He has a great natural swing. He has excellent hand-eye, and I'm trying to get him to love the game like he should. He, uh, he does it because I do it and because he feels like he should, but he doesn't love it yet, and I'm working on it. But as you know, you can't, uh, you can't breed the passion yet. And, um, no. and you know, I started, I started right at his age actually going into high school and went from never playing to, you know, it was pretty much all I did. So um, I'm trying to, you know, back off a little bit to let him find that love of it, but it's, uh, <laughs> as a parent, it's difficult. It is, it is, and you can't shove it down their throats. We have three, and only one of them loves it, and the oldest one happens to work at the Golf Channel, which is weird, but she's not re- she likes the game, but she doesn't love playing. So, yeah, I get it, I get it. So you got to tell us <laughs> how and why did you start your clothing business? I'm so excited to learn. <laughs> well, Cindy, it's been, a, um, it's been a long road, so to speak, but um, you know, I worked, I was at the Golf Channel for quite a long time. I was there at the very beginning um, when the network uh, went on air and when it took shape. And I was there for 11 years. Um, after that period of time and having three distinct jobs at the Golf Channel and having done a lot for that company, I actually resigned. And um, John and I got married and I, you know, I, we had a child and, you know, I was, being a, a wife and traveling around with him and things. And, and then, you know, when our son went into kindergarten, I was ready to get back into work and golf is what I knew. Um, at the time we had been, um, both John and I had played in a really great event over in Europe called the Dunhill links, which is sort of the European tour version of the AT&T Pebble beach. Um, and over my eight years of uh, time playing in that event, I found and fell in love with the brand Golfino. Um, they had a Golfino uh, freestanding store at the Old Course Hotel. And after, um, you know, the first year I bought a few pieces, the second year a little more, I just loved it. It was something that I had never found similarly in the United States and um, started, you know, bringing extra suitcases to hoard it over because I knew I couldn't find it in America. And after, uh, after some time doing that and my husband telling me it would be much cheaper for me to just to go to work for the company, um, I flew to, uh, to Germany with a business plan in hand, 
to start their business in America, which I did. And uh, that was back in 2012 and uh, ran that business here in America until, of course, the beginning of COVID, um, which hit Golfino particularly hard because of all of their freestanding stores. So they were a very large retail operation with over 30 stores worldwide. Um, and uh, unfortunately, it, uh, it led them to sell the brand, to sell the company. And the company that they sold it to um, really didn't want to do business in America and didn't really want to do wholesale business. So they were just going to stick with online. And, um, and so that kind of left, uh, not only did it leave me and my colleagues here, who we built a really nice team with Golfino, kind of left us um, in the lurch, so to speak. But our customers, we had built a really, really solid group of country clubs and resorts that valued the product. And in turn, their members and their guests really valued Golfino and that kind of high-end premium ladies sporty um, and sportswear look. Um, And it it left a hole in the market. It really did when Golfino sold. So, you know, it didn't take me too much time to to realize that that I needed to do something about it. Um, I felt in some ways um, very responsible because my name was so tied to Golfino here in America. So... I mean, I must have had 50 calls a day, people asking me where their Golfino was. So, um, so it took me not too much time and, you know, with some encouragement from family and friends and, you know, and whipped out my old business plan and sat down and thought about how I was going to do it. I luckily had made a lot of great contacts, um, not only customers, but on the design front, um, I was able to secure my absolute favorite designer who had been at Golfino at one point and was also at Burberry. He's an English lad and, uh, and has an impeccable taste in design. And so he is my designer and my chief creative lead. And, um, and then I was able to secure a lot of great production facilities in Europe and, you know, kept those contacts intact and, um, and kind of put it all together, you know, and I needed to add some investors to the pot. And then we launched uh, in the middle of COVID <laughs> with a brand new ladies mm. fashion brand. Wow. Wow. What a story. <laughs> it was good. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's interesting how as bad as last year was for everybody, um, it did give, at least it gave me a little bit of time to, to take a step back and to take a look at what I had been doing, how I had grown a certain business within an industry, and it gave me some time to plan and prep for what was eventually going to be Lola Sport. Sometimes it's a blessing. There. How, can, how can our listeners find your clothing line? Well, we are, we are online now. So that is at lolasport.com, and it's L-O-H-L-A-S-P-O-R-T.com. Um, we are also um, can be found in now 115 country clubs in the United States. Um, and, of course, we are trying to grow that business um, season by season. So if you are in an area where um, you're at a country club that does not carry Lola Sport, just simply asking for it, I think, to your local club pro or the buyer in the shop certainly helps our cause um, to get into more country clubs. That is the bread and butter of our business is wholesale. And, um, and to be able to, um, to get into the, you know, premium country clubs in America. And, in, you know, and eventually we will grow into Canada. You know, once COVID kind of dissipates um, and we will have a little bit more opportunity to spread our wings a little further, we certainly will. Great. Ted? I think that's fantastic. Um, So, Lisa, let me ask you um, a little bit about the style um, of the clothing line. Very upscale European designs, as you mentioned, with an L.A. flair. Describe what you mean by that? I mean, obviously I understand European, but what do you, how do you define the LA flair? Give us an example of what you're trying to project with your closing line. Okay, absolutely. So, um, you know, when I had um, the brand Golfino, I paid real close attention 
to um, what most ladies, let's say, um, liked of the line and the fabrics that they produced. And, you know, not all were accepted in America, but some really were. And so I kind of paid attention to that. Um, Paul Reese, who's our designer, as I say, he brings to the brand a very European styling, um, very classic. I would call it um, premium contemporary. Um, it is fashiony. Mm-hmm. And then what, you know, the way that we have kind of, as I would say, L.A. or California it up um, would be via <laughs> the colors. Um, you know, I like, right. I like color a lot. Um, I like bold colors. I like people to look good in clothing. I mean, I think that color really accentuates the face. And, you know, when, when you look good, you feel good. So um, I like a lot of that and, and similar styling. Um, L.A. and California also is very relaxed. And, you know, mm-hmm. with, um, with golf growing the way it is growing, um, I do see a certain relaxation in the dress codes at some country clubs. It's not always necessarily a good thing, but, um, but it is right. ever-changing, particularly with more people coming to the game and more women coming to the game and not really knowing what's appropriate at country clubs. Um, we have kind of a, a few pieces, and let me tell you, this side of the business of ours will grow, certainly, but we have what I would call some golf leisure pieces, which, um, mm-hmm. which are what a woman would feel, I think, naturally comfortable wearing who maybe isn't used to playing golf, um, but in a more sophisticated way. So, for instance, we have... Um, we've, we're debuting this fall um, something called the Golf Fitness Pull-On Pants. So where mm-hmm. some women might show up at a club wearing, let's say, a yoga pant um, or a Lululemon pant, which is a great brand, by the way. But, um, so where they might show up wearing something like that, but may or may not be exactly golf appropriate, um, our pants are a bit thicker. So that you know nothing unmentionable will be will be seen or noticed. Um, it is a pull on right. though. It is a high rise, so it feel, you feel like you've got a little bit of a tummy tuck going on in there. But then we do accentuate it with pockets outside, back pockets, patch pockets, um, as well as a side pocket. Um, and then they are uh, on the lengthier side. So rather than being able to see half your calf or your full calf, they go all the way down to your ankle to make them more country club appropriate, but yet you feel, you know, just as leisurely as you would wearing something, you know, from your local athletic store. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it, it's interesting because there's, there's so much in, in women's fashion now, and especially in the golf industry. And, you know, for a long, long time, and I'm going back a number of years, uh, it, it mirrored a lot the tennis industry. It was sort of the, the, the short uh, skirts and, and tops. And it was very generic, but you're seeing a lot of diversity now um, in, in women's golf apparel, which I think is very, very interesting. And I'm going to get to the men's in a minute because I, I have a, a bone to pick with the, with the golf fashion industry because the, the men's fashion <laughs> is terrible compared to what's out there for the women, but we'll talk about that another time. Uh, but I want to ask you something really, really was interesting uh, when I got all of your information together, I found this was very, very unique, um, really one of the most unique sponsorships in sports marketing, um, and that is that you partnered with uh, Stefan Wilson, who, of course, is with uh, and, and Andretti Autosport in 2021 at the Indianapolis 500. How did that come about? And actually, your logo <laughs> is on the Formula One car. I mean, that's just kind of a, yeah. an, an unusual um, connection. How did that come about? Yeah, it's uh, it's way unusual, um, and this is you know this is under the category how you pick the right investors. Um, I when I was investor searching, I went you know I went as one would to people that I know, family, friends, etc. Um, I had a lot of um, great friends in the golf in, or not necessarily in the golf industry, but who I knew through golf, whether it be through playing country clubs, tournaments, etc. Um, and all of them are in different lines of work. They're all in their own different industries, but all have a certain love for golf. Well, one of my investors um, on the side actually owns a, another company called Cusick Motorsports. And it wasn't really until 
you know, he already was an investor that I really learned his passion for auto racing. And, you know, he owns cars. He races cars. He belongs to a place in California called the Thermal Club, which is like a country club, except you take a pencil eraser, you race the golf course, and you draw on racetracks. And uh, people keep their cars there. They, they live there. They eat there. They socialize, and they race cars. Um, so I began to kind of get into what he was talking about and, you know, his, this whole other lifestyle that he really enjoys. And um, it was kind of on his own bucket list to be part of the Indy 500. And he was already friends with Stefan Wilson, who is an Andretti driver. And they formed a partnership mm-hmm. to, um, to sponsor him for the Indy 500. And, um, and, you know, as would be the gift of all gifts, um, he gave the, the branding um, to Lola Sport. And um, I, you know, not knowing anything really about auto racing, threw myself into this other sport. Um, and I'm so glad I did. It is, it's fascinating and it is ever so passionate. Um, it mirrors golf in a lot of ways in that the fans are ravenous about it. They will spend money. They will spend mm-hmm. time to be around the sport. They love it with a fierce passion, just as a golfer would. Um, and, and, you know, at w- one thing that I'm trying to do with Lola sport as well is to not, you know, while we are based in golf and rooted in golf, we are also, you know, available for many sports and many activities and you can wear the clothes for many activities. And, and to be honest, you know, I would like to hope that the women who wear Lola Sport are fans of many different sports, not just golf. So um, mm-hmm. with this sponsorship of the Indy 500, we've really, really spread our wings. And um, it has been so eye-opening and really thrilling. Um, and it, you know, it possibly will lead to a, um, a, to a men's collection down the line, Ted. <laughs> because I might have okay, gotten yeah. asked about 500 times while I was at the Indy 500 when the men's collection is coming out. So, um, you know, it's something that's uh-huh. on, you know, on my mind a lot. But it is um, – and, and let me tell you that this experience that we've had of being part of the Indy 500 this year, and we are doing it again next year, which is just a blessing, um, this experience that we have had will definitely not only – formulate us in some different ways marketing a little bit you know unique here and there but also it will influence our design you know we have taken from that that world um a bit of what is popular there and in color in in style in in silhouettes etc um and we will we will push that through with Lola sport for the next few seasons and it's going to be really cool that's fantastic. Um, you know, we, we are, and the reason why I threw that out there about the men's line is we are in desperate need of some really good, uh, interesting men's clothing. I mean, I've been, as I'm sure maybe you've been in the past, uh, down at the PGA Merchandising Show, um, and, you know, you look at what's available for men's fashion as opposed to what's available for women's, and it's just very bland. So I'm, I'm throwing your husband under the bus. John, if you hear this <laughs> message Step up, brother, and help put together a men's line. Oh, that's Set funny. the acting career aside for now. Put the acting career aside. We know you're a great actor. You've already, you've already championed that area. Let's get out and do a men's line. Do something to help us because I'll tell you, we need it. And uh, obviously, Lisa, I know you're, you're happy to help him out. Um, so, oh, actually, I have a golden model if question. I need one. Sorry, go ahead. I said I that's have a right. built-in model in John um, if I need one, yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you one other question. Um, going back to, I'm all kidding. Uh, going back to the women's line for here, you know, one of the things is we have so many different groups, if you will, within the women's market. You've got obviously uh, some of the more seasoned or mature golfers, and now you've got the millennials coming up, and even the Gen Z that everybody's trying to go after. In that, do you see you adapting to that market and adding future? Uh, products that are going to be more appealing because obviously they're you know they're a different generation they they like to dress a little bit differently are you going to go after that market a little bit at all or what are you going to do 
Um, that's a very good question. First of all, I do appreciate very much um, the diversity in ladies' golf apparel. Um, just as when you walk into a department store, you don't see every single person in there huddled around one rack of clothes. People have different tastes, and they right. have different different bodies. They have different budgets. They, I mean, everybody wants to look different. What I am going mm-hmm. for, however, is the fact that, you know, I have I, – first of all, I like clothes. I like to shop. <laughs> I'm kind of a clothes hog. Mm-hmm. Um, in my normal daily routine, I like to shop at Neiman's and Intermix and Bloomingdale's, et cetera. And, and just because I play golf doesn't mean that I lose all my sense of taste when I go to the golf course. Right. So I want something, and that's where Lola Sport comes I wanted something that mirrors my taste and my um, – sort of my, my, my fashion sense when I go and do my favorite thing in the world, which is play golf. And, you know, especially when you play, you know, golf is not a short sport, by the way. It's, I mean, we're out there for the no. whole day, you know, and, and you know, and, and when you're right. going to play, you dress for it in the morning and you're probably going to have dinner in at night. So I wanted, you know, I also want this line to be able to carry you through the day's activities, which it does very well. Um, am I going to make specific clothes for a younger generation? Well, let me say this. One of my one of my other big things that I'm very into is girls golf, because I started as a junior. Mm-hmm. I can remember having a hard hard time finding clothes to wear. I remember going to the Gap and J Crew and Banana Republic and just trying to piece things together. So I specifically made Lola Sport with the sizes XXS or extra extra small and size zeros mm-hmm. for. Um, teenagers for growing girls so that they can, you know, have something to wear that's their size. Um, and I'm a big proponent of girls' junior golf. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, will I, I will, you know, feed to that a little bit in terms of color and, you know, maybe a little bit of design. But I'm not, you know, Lola Sport is not going to be ever, you know, revealing ridiculously short skirts or, um, right. you know, anything that's a little too overtly out there. Um, you know, I would like mm-hmm. women who are wearing Lola Sport to get compliments um, in a good way. And I think that you can be right. very um, nicely, tastefully dressed and alluring without being overtly sexual. So I like to keep it mm-hmm. in that realm. Um and, you know, if um, and hopefully that will appeal to the kind of girls who are coming up through golf and who are joining the game now. Well, thank you for that, because, you know, it, it's so important. The reason why I asked that question is because I see so often within the, the golf industry, not just in the, in the clothing market, but in other areas as well, is, you know, people trying to navigate and please everybody. And, you know, you can't do that. You have to find what works for you and what, what you're passionate about and really zero in and focus on that. And that doesn't mean you can't, as you put it, sort of offer a little taste here and there. But I think if you're trying to just openly, you know, go after one uh, segment or, or this one over here and that one over there all the time, I think it just gets to a point where, you're you're not really true to yourself and your brand. You're kind of just appealing to everybody, and you're not. You're not going to appeal to necessarily everybody. And I think you've got a great focus on what you've been doing. You've obviously have a lot of experience, um, you know, coming behind you, um, and you know exactly what you want. And but at the same time, you recognize that there, you know, it's a growing market, and there's others up and coming in that. And and you're making uh, adjustments and, and accommodations to appeal on some level to that. And I think that's a great way to approach it. So kudos to you for doing that, Lisa. Um, Cindy, go ahead. Do you have any information about uh, 2022 PGA Merchandise Show? Is it going to happen or do we not know yet? No, we do know, Cindy. It is going to happen. Um, if I had the dates at hand, I would give them to you. I've already, I'm, We've already registered for booths. I know that the booths are... Um, Gosh, ninety percent taken. I have I have this feeling that you know it's been a while since we've all been together um, under that Orlando mm-hmm. roof, and I have a feeling it's going to be pretty well attended. That would be my gut feeling, um, but it is definitely on, yeah. Cindy. Awesome, and I will come and introduce myself to you. Well, good. As I, will I'm I. I'm so thrilled that you will. Um, my plan is to, um, I mean, hopefully, knock on wood 
is to have our Indy car there. Ooh. Oh, wow. So a That's little something cool. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. A little something fun for the PGA show. Awesome. Hopefully you'll let me take it for a spin, but no, I'm only kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> not if I, unfortunately I couldn't afford the repairs. Um, yeah. So let's I. just remind, just, just, no, let's just remind everybody, of course, where they can go to get more information about Lola sport and um, anything else that you want to, to close up with. Um, thank you, Ted. So, um, so Lola Sport is available online at lolasport.com. It's L-O-H-L-A. It actually stands for Lisa O'Hurley, Los Angeles. Um, my son thought of that name, coincidentally. Um, lolasport.com. Um, we are beginning to debut our new fall collections um, in about two weeks' time. So mid-July, we will be debuting the new fall collections. Um, and also, we are available in about 115 PGA pro shops, whether that be resort or country club. And, um, and as I say, it's very easy to um, help us to get into your pro shop if you just ask your head pro or the buyer at your shop to take a look at Lola Sport the next time that they go out uh, on their buying rounds. Um, we are anxious to show as many people as we can our newest collections. We are just beginning to now show the spring 22 um, lines to, to the buyers of the club. So that is the easiest way to get us, lolasport.com or at your PGA Pro Shop. Awesome. Thank um, you. Let me ask you just a, 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 yeah, thank you for that. Let me just ask a quick follow-up on the, on the different pro shops, Nat. Um, are they listed? Can you get access to where they are, some of the locations, or do you have a list of where they currently are? You know, Ted, we don't. Um, that is something that okay. not every club loves to to have that out there. Some clubs are uh, a lot more under lock and key than others, as you both know. Okay. So because sure. of that, we just yep. don't we don't we don't um, publish that. Okay. So oftentimes, though, we'll put things. Okay. Sometimes on our Instagram or our Facebook or something, we'll say that we're carried here or there. Um, but we always double check with the pro shops to make sure that that's okay prior to us doing that. But, you know, rather than get the, getting anybody upset, we just, we don't publish anything like that. Right. Got it. Sounds good. Um, well, Lisa, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Uh, we appreciate you coming on and, uh, Rest assured, I'm going to hold John to this. I'm going to be looking for that men's line here in the near future. So uh, you better forewarn him because I'll hunt him down like a pack of wolves if I don't see it coming oh, through. Wow. So, um, no. Okay, Ted. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, mirror. thank you, though. <laughs> yeah, it's me driving the Formula One coming up behind him. Um, but, no, Lisa, thank you very much for, for joining us this morning. Uh, much continued success with your line, uh, Lola Sports. I think it's going to do fantastic. And um, I hope you'll come back and join us again. Well, thank you. It was a true pleasure to be with you guys today. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Lisa. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Lisa Hurley, uh, CEO and founder of Lola Sports. You can go to lolasport.com to find out more about uh, her clothing line. Very, very interesting. Um, I, I think some of the things that she's uh, got, I was looking on her website uh, over the last little bit. So I think it's going to do very, very well. And a uh, very interesting connection with uh, Formula One, too. I found that very, uh, very interesting, very unusual uh, connection, but obviously uh, proving to be a very successful promotion for her. So um, I think that's Absolutely. fantastic. Um, so what do you got cooking in the next little while? You, get, you must be getting ready for another boot camp pretty soon, are you, or no? No, we don't do them in July. We, November. November, okay. That's what I thought. Okay. All right. Well, that's it for us. Um, thank you for joining us this morning on the Women of Golf. And again, congratulations to Megan McLaren. And thank you again to Lisa O'Hurley uh, for joining us this morning on the Women of Golf. We will be back next week with another great show. We'll hope you join us. Thank you very much. On behalf of Cindy Miller, I'm Ted Odorico. God bless everybody and have a great week. Thank you, Cindy. Thanks. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern 
here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf's Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash Golf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.